Tales of the Fantastic Podcast with J.N. Cameron and Matthew Moan. A discussion of inspirations, practices, and the fiction that we love. Too bad she won't live. I'm your But then again, who does? A podcast by writers for writers. Brought to you by Tuesday Night Publishing. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Matthew, and I just wanted to jump in here real quick and kind of let you know where we are. This is the third part of a long-form conversation that began a while ago. I think on the second podcast, it was the first part, where Joe and I have a discussion about our inspirations of uh, post-apocalyptic and apocalyptic fiction. The first section uh, was about films. The second section moved from television to uh, a little bit about books, and this is the final part of that conversation, talking about our favorite book series having to do with post-apocalyptic fiction. So enjoy. Um, this is the other. The next one too is another one. Uh, Ooh, yeah. the Battle Circle books by Piers Anthony. Oh man, those are so good. Nineteen sixty-eight is when the first one came out. There's, Sauce the rope. Yeah, three books and Var the stick and Neck the sword. Or neck the sword. Um, man. Ex- I, explain the explain the principle behind it. Like so, it's like so. It's in the future. Yeah, man is tr- tribal again. It's in America, and they're these scientists living under like a mountain somewhere and they've established a system where they make weapons they make like uh handheld hand-to-hand combat weapons and they put them in a circle and all the tribal societies they're sort of monitoring so that the men come together and they have to fight each other for dominance so whoever leads the tribe is like the head fighter and it's just this this society that scientists have established so they can sort of watch and rebuild humanity right yeah it's pretty crazy, and and uh, I it was weird. I went back and reread it. Like I had, I think, what I didn't expect <laughs> is how. And I guess this is just Piers Anthony in yeah. general. Uh-huh. He is pretty. Uh, not I, I don't. What's the word? He's kind of anti-woman. He yeah he he's he is There's, man. What's the yeah. word? There's a word I I'm searching misogynist? for. Misogynist. Misogynist. I did not realize how well, women, yeah, in this book, like it definitely that the women are like, like in this society, he's it established starts, the women yeah. are property. It starts and they with a fight, him and yeah. you, yeah, you meet a guy in battle in the battle circle, and if you kill him, you get his wife, yeah. right? Yeah, and now that's your family, mm-hmm. and that's how. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, if you're going to restart society, I'm not sure why you'd want to do it that way. But yeah. maybe he was trying to make a point that it's just like men never change. Yeah. They're just horrible misogynists. But yeah, I don't think I know. I mean, obviously, I don't think I was aware of that as yeah. much of when I was a kid. I wasn't either. Yeah. Uh, but going back and rereading it, I was like, "Holy mm-hmm. crap, man!" Yeah. Uh, but regardless of that, it's it's amazing and really well written. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, definitely a post-apocalyptic yeah. classic. So. Uh, the next one, um, we're just going to keep going, and I'm going to cut this up however I, however, however we need to, because I feel like we're in a groove. Yeah, let's do it. Um, is the original, for me, the first real book that I read that was uh, post-apocalyptic that I connected with completely was Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. I Am Legend 
is a brilliant. I think it's it's probably I think it's considered a novella. It's yeah, short. It is short. Well, it's only like what forty pages. Or well, something? no, it's more or, than that. It's more than it's that. It's not very long, and it it's just it's the That's creepiest. So good. And for something written in nineteen fifty four, it it blows me away. I'm kind of surprised it was nineteen fifty four because whenever I read it, I always thought it happened in the seventies, and I think yeah. it's because I'd, I I read think it's it because after of Omega, I saw Man. Omega Man. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and. I think, uh, but the, the movie um, Last Man on Earth is probably the most like the book. I, I agree. Yeah. Because in the book, the vampires, they're they're sort of slow like that, and they're but they can talk. They're almost mm-hmm. more like ghouls, like yeah. medieval ghouls. And I remember it was so creepy the scene in the book where he had buried her wife like in her sarcophagus yeah, he, he, and he went well, back can't kill her yeah and in the, in the i think in the movie he buried her in the ground but in the book it was like a sarcophagus yeah. and he opened it he could hear her scratching yeah. in it or something i think that's there's a whole section of the book where he's he spends too long at her sarcophagus listening he to her, her. Try, and he hears her trying to get out and he realizes it's late in the day and he has to get back before they swarm that's his right. house oh man um and i that's remember him being scene. late to get home yeah yeah and just that they're they're always haranguing him outside, saying, "Oh come, man, come out, there's Neville, come one out. of my favorite scenes." Even though it's really terrifying, it's it happens. What was his name in the book? Was it Neville? Robert Neville. Robert yeah. Neville. Yeah. Robert so Neville. like, there's this uh, there's a moment at the in, in, this, in the very beginning of the novel. It's the first night, really. Uh, as I mean, the first night that we're joining Neville as he's surviving through this hellscape, right? So he's. Uh, He's eating, and they're, they're, they've they've shown up out in front, and all they do is just taunt him. They're throwing crap at his doors and his windows, but he's kind of barricaded himself. He's barricaded in. up. He has bars. He turns up this music super loud so he can't hear them, because the lady vampires mm-hmm. will go out there and strip naked and like right. dance They'll and try, try and to do some to taunt him, to him out, out. Yeah. and it's too, almost too much for him to handle. Because he's the last man on earth, he'll go and look and look at them and think, you know, I should just go, just go for it. <laughs> and that was like, I think. And I'm, you wonder, as a boy, you're like, would I do that? Would I the, would I go out to be with the beautiful lady vampire? And you're like, you're thinking, why not? Like uh, they is, would just turn you into a vampire, yeah. and then you're going to be with beautiful lady vampires for eternity. Yeah. <laughs> then you're like, no, no, I don't want to lose my humanity. Well, because you know, it starts with him going through repairing the house. He's repairing the house after they've attacked it that night, and so, yeah. and then he starts slowly. You start realizing that he's looking for a yeah. cure. And it's, it's just well, as a boy, so Matt was like, I would have just let the lady vampire. I probably would have just got it. <laughs> Um, what okay. a good book, man! So I love that book, and yeah. I, that, like I said, that's one that I revisit every couple of years. Uh, yeah. Just like Dune and Lord of the Rings, I go back and read it over and over. And it's over. been a while since I've read it, but oh, now so I'm good. definitely going to have to You've do a reread. Yeah. yeah. Um, next, and this is one I think you've read. I don't Canticle know if you have. Canticle for, for Leibowitz. Leibowitz. Is that 1959? Remind me, what's it about? Man? This is the one. It's kind of it's a book that's divided into three or four different parts. There's okay. one. That's about this uh, kind of a sect. This is after the nuclear bomb has dropped. Okay. There's like these uh, monks who have been illuminating okay. the stuff they okay. found okay. Okay. in this okay. fallout shelter. And there's a series of these, right? Is well, it like a series? There's or two books. One? There's okay, two I've books. read the first one. Yeah. I think I read the, the first one. The second book is yeah. okay. It's not, it's not as good. Yeah. But for me, just the idea of some mm-hmm. of the stuff that he he hits in this, the second, so there's the first half of the book is this thing about these monks. 
and they're going through and they're doing these medieval illuminations of this guy's notes. Mm-hmm. And some of it is just uh, like shopping lists. Oh, wow. It's stuff that he that's had right. inside yeah, his fallout yeah, shelter. That's right. That's right. Um, so, and, but there's really cool ideas. The second half of the book is about these tribal wars that are happening because there's different stuff happening. And the third mm. is about how they progress past it, but then uh, they end up doing the same thing over again. Good stuff. Uh, super good. Fun. Really well written. Um, that's one that I've read a couple times. It's not for everybody, um, but it's uh, the ideas are okay. fantastic. Okay, awesome. All right, then... Uh, I'll just launch into this one. Oh man, this is Matt. This is one of Matt's favorite. Mine too. This is phenomenal. Uh, it's well, it's dun, 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 the mist. The mist, of course. Stephen King. Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. What a great apocalypse! Uh, local apocalypse, right? Not even really well, one we that don't, we, we, we don't, don't you don't know. Uh-uh. But that's why, yeah, it, it could have been just in that neighborhood, that town. Yeah, you never know. You don't. Yeah. It's uh, the thing I like about it is is it's uh, this is truly one of the great and I talked we talked about this in the first podcast, mm-hmm. um, but this is really one of the one of the foundational stories for me. Yeah, without a doubt, um, because it's that thing where we're there at the beginning, we see mm-hmm. it happen, and then it's uh-huh. just this big what if. Yeah, and it's, it's, and I feel like yeah. he does such a good job with. Uh, going okay. Well, what would happen? And you can be- and you can definitely tell his influences in this story. And they're the right. It, I think this it's the same type of story as like I Am Legend. Yeah, it's this uh, like the film Night of the Living Dead. It's oh, people yeah. holding up something unknown on the outside, attacking them, and they're grouped up somewhere in an unexpected and place happen? and situation, yeah. and just. How do you survive? And it becomes about it becomes about the characters of the individuals who have gathered together in this supermarket to survive, right? To survive, and yeah. you've got Mrs. Carmody, who's the religious nut who That's thinks right. that they need to sacrifice That's his kid, right. remember? That's Expiation, right. you know, yeah. and yeah. so there's all of that stuff happening as well as them just trying to survive and and figure out what's going on. And I love the ending of the story. Oh. Is they finally well and finally know, get away and finally get car. away and they hear a time they they're listening to the radio mm-hmm. and they hear the word Hartford, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, and so they go. I guess that's where we're going. Yeah, and so that's how the story ends. The movie version ends completely differently and in a very sad, horrible way. Like the the film version they did that Frank Darabont did is uh-huh. great up yeah. until the end. Yeah, I agree. But the, here's yeah. what's here's what's weird though. Stephen yeah. King said, "If I had thought of that, I would have ended the story that way." Really? Yeah. He said that. Yeah. Oh, that's he likes it better than how he ended it. He likes the film. Okay. I like the sense of hope uh-huh. that they travel on and could conceivably find people who've survived. I or whatever. do. Too. Yeah. I just prefer that. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. I mean, I just wanted to throw that one out there. Um, Good one. We already sort of talked about the next one. Yeah, the Stand, Stephen King, 1978. Yep. And it really, again. It's, it's all about the journey. It's the journeys. It's them as a group traveling. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I remember. I remember in that one of the scenes that really strikes me. I remember scenes from books, yeah. almost like they're movies. Because when I was a kid, I remember we talked about that when we were kids. How like when we read books, we tried to envision like a movie uh-huh. playing in our minds, and yeah. we would see it. Yeah. And I still do that with books, and that's why I love them so much. It's like having your own little personal movie. Absolutely. And I remember in the stand seeing it, like this character, him traveling. And remember, he would look into old houses and yeah. apartments, and he'd see the bodies oh, and the corpses oh, yeah, who had all died, like all old and mummified, mm-hmm. laying there in dust. 
Do you remember, I remember scenes yeah. like that, and that just There's, sort of blew me. It's the first time I read something like that. Yeah. I had never heard of the medieval plagues. Mm-hmm. I never really learned of those until later in college, and recently I've really been studying them. But this is the first thing where it was I a read whole about new thing. plagues. Yeah, it's a whole new thought. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. Of course, it means so much more to us all now. Yeah, we can all sort of yeah. All well, and I think really. the 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 hardback version that I read years ago belonged to my brother in law, and it had some illustrations in it. Ooh. And there's one illustration of, uh, I think, I forget which character it is, but I think it's the guy who's deaf. I don't remember uh-huh. his character. Okay. Um, but he finds a body inside of like a like a, a gas station toilet. Uh-huh. And there's a, it's, and I think they've committed suicide. But the, the picture is so vivid, it's always in my head when I think oh, wow. about that. When I think about that story mm-hmm. or the book, uh, that's what comes back. And there's, you know, it's, now, when you go and buy it, you usually get the huge version that he went... Because when he initially published it, Stephen King, they had him remove like 400 pages. Oh, wow. And he said, you know, I'm Stephen King. I'm going to go ahead and put that 400 back in. <laughs> and so all the new versions are basically this big, huge, nice. ridiculously long... Nice. But it's all the travel stuff. And it's the stuff I love. It's, it's the uh, stuff I loved about it. Yeah. A lot of what they add back in is the trash can man, his traveling across the country. Yeah. And he's like burning stuff everywhere. And it's so good. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so All there's right. that one which we covered. Uh, the next oh, is more recent, man. and this Dude. is by like a giant in the world of yeah, literary fiction and, and author the, authorship. Um, the recently departed Cormac McCarthy's yep. The Road. The Road. Th- this everyone should read The Road, and everyone I think everyone does. You know, I think they're still studying The Road in college programs. Yeah. It's probably the only like work of post-apocalyptic fiction that's considered also like high literature right well it's because it is i mean he's probably the only post-apocalyptic writer ever interviewed by oprah (laughs) i agree and she interviewed him for the road yeah and wow talk about everything we love in literature everything we write everything we love in film it's the two things we love, Matt and I. It's about the environment mm-hmm. and the journey. And the, and and the characters. The, the characters. Yeah. This father and this son who've survived the end of the world. And they're, they're doing the only thing they can do. They're just out walking around because there's no more food left. Yeah. There's no plants left. All the earth, all the plants have died. Everything's dying. Yeah, everything's no covered way to in farm. ash. Yeah. The, the mother committed suicide, yeah. right? Because she couldn't stand it. And the, the apocalypse happened, and they held up in a house, and they raised this boy. Mm-hmm. And this boy had never left. He's like eight or nine when they leave. And isn't finally, it? yeah, he's, he's a little older. And finally, they just leave the house. Yeah. And they go, and I think they're heading to the coast or south where they, they've heard a rumor there might be a ships or something. And uh, it's... It's beautiful. It's a oh. beautiful novel. It's, it's horrible. Uh, humanity has turned to cannibalism. There's yeah. roving tribes of what they call them the blood tribes yeah. of men just looking for people to eat. It's really, I and mean, it's, it's, I, seriously, some of the most, what's what's incredible is that this some of the scenes are just paragraphs. Mm-hmm. But they're some of the most harrowing things I've ever read. Yeah. the there There's one scene in it. I'll never forget that they, they couldn't put it in the movie. I remember the director saw it and he was just like, no, we yeah, can't, we do, can't this. do this. It was the scene where uh, the father and his son in the movie, they see an old house in the country and they see up on the porch 
uh, cooking spit and there's a baby on it. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. And I think he covers the boy's eyes and they just keep going and the boy's like, Dad, what was that? Dad, what was that? And he's like, I'm not telling you. I know, it's horrifying. And that, I mean, that's burned into my subconscious forever. Cormac McCarthy's so good at that. Oh my gosh, so good. Well, and it reminds me, the thing that was cool is like I went through and I read I read The Road, and I was, like, weeping at the end. Yeah. And then uh, I read um, the next one. What was the the one that, the, the book that I, oh, crap, the one with, with the judge? Oh, Blood Meridian. Blood Meridian. Oh. That, that's not a post-apocalyptic or anything, but that, I think, honestly, is his best novel. Blood Meridian is, and it could be, I mean, it could it be could apocalyptic be. That's true. fiction. It it, it's set in the 1800s, and... Mexico, but I mean, yeah, that's his best novel, and it's every bit as horrifying as The Road. Uh, Yeah, it's about men during a real time period who were paid a gold, a single gold coin each by the president of Mexico to hunt Apache scalps, every Apache scalp. And so these bands of men and outlaws would go into Mexico and slaughter whole tribes of people and turn in their scalps yeah. and it was just a story of some ruffian who joined up with them and the, one of the most evil murderous like great Worst characters, characters he ever the invented judge, the judge oh, so someday amazing. it might be a movie i don't know james, I don't know how james do franco talked about how he wanted to direct it but i guess it's just it's fallen through every and, time yeah i know what's his name casey affleck Is was trying casey to do affleck it wanted to do it yeah yeah um so yeah, it's amazing. That's kind of we're taking a little off road there. But the yeah. the next book I want to talk about, and this is, uh, it's oh, moving man. from like hyper excellent uh, literary fiction mm. to like the height of pulp fiction for me. Yeah, in science fiction is Battlefield Earth Saga of the Year Three Thousand. Saga of the yeah Battlefield by L. Ron Earth. Hubbard. Yeah. What sold me on this book when I was a kid mm-hmm. because I didn't know anything about L. Ron Hubbard. I didn't know right. what Dianetics was or right. Scientology. <laughs> I had yeah. no idea. <laughs> All I knew was I read the back and it said, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Rocky meets Star Wars. And I said, I'm it. Uh, you got me there. It, this is a great book. It's astoundingly This is good. an amazing book. Yeah. L. Ron Hubbard, without a doubt, you can say what you want about him. He was a genius. He was a grandmaster of science fiction. He was a master kids. of science fiction. Yeah. And Battlefield Earth is such a good story. It really, really is. Don't oh watch my, the movie because it's the worst thing in the world. There is an amazing... I like the movie. Oh, the movie's awful. Matt hates the movie. I like it. It's terrible. I love that movie. I love their big monster feet. It's so awful. (laughs) Forrest Whitaker as an alien. Come on, man. Forrest Whitaker was the best alien. (laughs) It's so bad. They did an audio production. It's terrible. Uh, Anyway, they did an audio production of of Battlefield Earth that uh, uh, that is fantastic if you can find it. The audio um, version's pretty awesome. It's really, 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 really good. I mean, and it's basically uh, uncut. It's yeah. f- the full. If thing. you have, if you haven't seen it, it's people are tribal. Aliens have taken over the earth, and they're like mining out the earth, right? Yes. They're mining for stuff. Yeah, and they're and just then, taking tribals and putting them to work, and they correct. have a, they breathe a different air. Yes, the aliens, so they have to live in these bubble domes. Correct, and the human slaves that they've enslaved have to wear masks. And the the lead alien, Ty, Ty what is his name, Tyrell or something like that, the guy who John Travolta plays. Yeah, yeah. I forget his name. Yeah. He he makes a bet 
with mm-hmm. a buddy of his yep. that he can teach a human how to be how to fly a, a plane, right? Well, or just or how, just how to, to to be be able to read or, or to be able to read. Okay, and um, so he kidnaps Johnny Goodboy Tyler. That's right, and that's when the whole thing starts. Yeah. So as soon as they Johnny can start reading, and then that's when he escapes, yeah. and all the other stuff starts happening. I remember the concept of the learning machine. That's yeah. what I always liked. They they'd hook they hooked Johnny Boy up to the learning machine, and they taught him languages. Yeah. And eventually, they taught him how to fly, and he was flying the planes. He was flying their ships, and he was doing he mining breaks. for them. He get they sent them somewhere to get gold. Yeah, there's so like much Lexington. Huge, they sent yeah. them to Lexington or something to break into the treasury and get all the gold. And yeah, it's it's such a huge novel. I mean, it's really really good. It's expansive. Um, it's it really is an epic. It's it's amazing. And he figures out a way to defeat them, didn't he? Because they have teleporters, or don't they? Where they teleport back to their planet, their home planet, and in yeah. the end, they teleport a nuke, and oh, they blow right. up their home planet, and they totally didn't expect it. It was just like a gap that they didn't realize. They had in there. Yeah, they find a place like the the humans uh, start kind of. Uh, Johnny goes and starts kind of educating them, and they they find a place like NORAD, don't they? At they some find point? they find ships. Yeah, yeah they find they, planes yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they, they sort of re relearn stuff. Oh, so and, good. Yeah, great book. All right, so there's that one. Next is uh, oh yeah, this is one you wanted to add to the list. Oh, uh, the the Shinara books. Yeah, what you talked about a little bit. Yeah, Elfstone. So it was uh, the Swords of Shinara and the and the Elfstones of Shinara. And yeah, it's like twelve I, books. Terry in the Brooks. Or yeah, uh, those were all going around when I was in high school in the late '80s. Although they were written in '77. Yeah. And uh, either you or someone or another friend, maybe Charles or Russ or someone, like gave us that book to read. Yeah, I and read I, the first one. Uh, it was a uh, somebody gave it to me at the bookstore. They said, "Oh, if you like fantasy, read this." Okay, yeah. And I, and I had real and, and that I included that because it took me a while before I realized that was post apocalyptic. Yeah, it I was fantasy, but that. it was yeah. thousands of years. And remember all the the elves and the orcs and the different people had had were basically mutants. Yeah, that had been human. And so, and that wasn't revealed until like the third or fourth yeah, book. I and think it was because of that concept I included it. Yeah. But um, let's talk about the last one. The this last was one. a book real recently yeah, that 2012. Matt had loaned me, and it is phenomenal. I've heard they're making it into a movie. It's called yeah. The Dog Stars by Peter, Peter Heller, Heller yeah. 2012, and he's a he's a pilot. Who so the so a, an apocalypse has happened a sickness is wiped like everyone virus, out yeah. a virus so imagine that and it's a, about a pilot who survived with his dog mm-hmm. right and a sniper an old like marine sniper on an airbase just these two guys and they sort of help each yeah. other and they look out and there's no one else alive there's a family of Mennonites way far away in the city that the pilot helps he'll yeah, fly and, there and he'll yeah. he'll deal repair stuff for them or, and he'll bring, yeah, bring them food bring them bring stuff, stuff or yeah. medicine but that's about it but no one else some of them are sick but, but pretty much are. anyone else who comes onto their base they just kill them that's too, yeah. the sniper kills it doesn't matter who they are because it's it's gotten to the point in the world where you can't trust anybody yeah. you just if they try to come onto your land you kill them and I remember there was that that horrible scene, but it was so awesome. Tell him about it, where he's on the berm 
in the beginning. Yeah. You sort of realize what this is. He sl- he's well, out there. He sets up the house as a light to draw them. Uh, he sleeps outside, right? Uh, kind of under under the stars, a couple hundred yards away from his home, just and, to keep an eye on people if they come and try and, and sneak he into puts his house. His porch light on, yeah. and so when people sneak up to break in, he just starts shooting. He just starts sniping. Yeah, it's. It's amazing, and the thing that's cool is that there's whole there's bits where he travels to go find stuff. He's heard a radio message, and so he flies as far as he can. And his thing is, he loves is it Coke? He loves some kind of soda. Yeah, that's right. And so there's yeah. a great scene where he lands on the highway when he sees a yeah. uh, like a Coke truck. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it almost it almost causes this, the this end of his life. Book is like a video game. To it's me, so good. I read it, and I was thinking this would be the coolest. Yeah, video game because I've I've seen stuff where people are traveling around the apocalypse. So I haven't seen anything where like they're flying, yeah, like in a little plane and you well, have to find f- places to land. And imagine an open world video game like that. Mm-hmm. Where you could land your plane and explore, and you might have to find parts for it. Or it's like if GTA was post-apocalyptic. It's yeah. like that much of an open that's world. That's what this yeah. book was. Yeah, and that's basically what the book yeah. was. Yeah. It's kind of cool, too. One of the things I liked about it is because it's the way it's written is real. I mean, the guy is an excellent author. I mean, it's he's, beautiful work. He's a beautiful writer. But, it's like uh, literary writing. It feel, and yeah, it was kind of, it's another thing like The Road. It was kind of accepted by people who wouldn't normally read that kind of stuff the literary because crowd, it was so yeah. well written. Yeah. yeah. And I love when stuff like that happens. When, Me too. Because there's so many people who hear about, oh, it's that, and I'm not going to read it. But yeah. because this guy wrote it so well and tells mm. the story so well, it's like they kind of forgive it. Yeah, you know? yeah I had a, I have an MFA, and so I remember when I was getting, though, my, my bachelor's in creative writing, I remember one of the first things our teacher said at this university, she asked everybody what we like to read. And I told her, Lord, Lord, I like to read Lord of the Rings. And she goes, well, that's your problem. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's their, your problem. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's the attitude of a lot of writing programs. We don't that, agree with it. I don't at all. I mean, that's the biggest thing, and I think we're kind of getting to the end. I have one last thing I want to talk about. is um, We really think that as long as it's written well, the subject matter shouldn't make a difference. It's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah it doesn't matter how horrific it is. We, we've read, like, Cormac McCarthy. He writes the most horrific. God, horrible You're stuff, not going to write more horrible, more depressing, more yeah. vile things. And it's fully accepted. But it's so beautifully I know. written. There's, like, you can tell there's something redemptive about what he's doing because of the quality absolutely. of the writing. Yeah. And then there's things that are really great stories, but it's just it's, the writing really turns you off. That's, I mean, and I think that's part of the reason, like... It, I'm it, not going to call them out and talk about it, but uh, there are things that I've read that I'll go to the people tell me about. Oh, this is a good book. you yeah. got to... And, oh, there's one that I gave I you can't that you just, can read. There's some, yes, and it happens sometimes. I'll, I'll and, 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 it, and with me, it's mostly, it's the writing. There's something about the writing that distracts me. And I, I can't get yeah. into the story. I'm the same way, and there's, uh, f- uh, but I feel like it's easier for me to get involved in the story, uh, and mm-hmm. to let the writing slip a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think you're a lot more. It's hard. It's more difficult for me because, yeah. especially on a longer book, I can do it with a short story. Yeah. If the writing is real, if the story carries you along, the story carries kind of me okay along. With but with a novel, it's hard. Yeah. No, I I I understand. There's. Lots of stuff that I've picked up and started reading and I've gone, I can't do it. I mean, People when I was said, a kid, when I was a boy, when I was 12, when I would read through Lord of the Rings, I would sort of skip through it. Yeah. I wouldn't even read sentence for sentence. 
I remember that. Yeah. Because I would, I would come to like always. two or three pages where he's describing a tree in Elven Land, and I would just <laughs> skip through it, right? Yeah. And I'm like, where's the battle? Where's the? But I mean, but now, now I don't. Now, now I, you appreciate I it. soak it up. Yeah. I just it take I take a long time, and I enjoy the sentences. Well, that's why I've been reading Dune for oh, the last like three months that's the best book to do that with because I'm just taking my time I'm reading like a page yeah. a night and putting it away and going I don't want this to end again I've read Frank it so Herbert's many times Frank writing it's you amazing. can learn so much from just the way he styles his sentences yeah. and his paragraphs and but then you read other writers and you're just I just can't do it sometimes yeah there's loads of series that I've tried to get into that people have kept saying you have to read this you have to read this and I can't break I, you in. know I could never get into the Harry Potter stuff a lot of my friends have got I read the <laughs> yeah. first book and after that I was just like the writing didn't keep my attention yeah. man I I mean I, I loved mean, the, the story but to be honest and I've only admitted this to a couple people I never finished the last book oh wow wow uh, because I just didn't care anymore. I was yeah. just kind of bored. Yeah. Um, and and that's I I love the first three novels, the first uh -huh. three stories especially. Uh, but then I was just like, you know, it, it was so long in between them. Yeah. That in order for me to remember what was happening in the story, I would have to go back and read it all again. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyways, I want to talk about one last thing. Okay. In the eighties, Joe and I discovered through my brother again. Yeah. Uh, the music of Tangerine Dream. Ooh, man. And the album Exit <laughs> is, uh, even though it's not post-apocalyptic at all, I don't think. No. It's, it sounded, it is, it. the album Exit, if you haven't listened to it, go do it right now. Stop this and go listen to it. Tangerine Dream, 1981. It, it is the soundtrack of the apocalypse to me. Yeah, me too. It is uh, some yeah. of the best stuff. Like I, and even to this day, if yeah. I'm writing something, I will put that on in the background. Yeah, I think I think the reason I think it's probably music that we played while playing role playing games sure, late yeah. at night, like yeah. in a camper on the side of Matt's house in the summer, playing like zombie role playing games mm -hmm. or D and D or Call of Cthulhu. We were big Call of Cthulhu yeah. role players. That's what I think we did the most. Really. We would always yeah we played Call of Cthulhu the most, yeah. but. uh we would play this, and this is like this. Yeah, this I think of it too. It's this the is, soundtrack of of the apocalypse for me. It absolutely is so great. Good stuff. Um, and then, okay, so there's two. These are weird. These <laughs> there's two. Yeah. There's a song, and this is because the video was they played the video so often on MTV when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, it's the song uh, "You Got Lucky" by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. The video it's 1981 or 82. I don't remember, but yeah. the video is him which this is you're gonna love this okay. tom petty drives up in a car from the film logan's run that's right and what? it's like this mad max kind of thing yeah and i was probably let's see in 81 or 82 i would have been nine years old oh man so there's loads of stuff i hadn't seen yet i hadn't seen any of the the stuff yet but i just know that this was everything had declined it was all messed up and they find this place where there's an old cassette player and he pushes mm -hmm. it that's right and i remember that video man it's amazing they all kind of meet up in this weird plastic mm. tent thing good post-apocalyptic music video absolutely Matt, and I, that, I, I forgot like it, completely about that it completely uh i didn't even realize how much it uh, kind of influenced stuff but yeah so there's that one and then there's also the song silent running by mike and the mechanics yeah which Dude. i mean it's just a, it's just a story of this totalitarian government and he's saying be ready 
That's right. And uh, I used to listen to that over and over, over and, and over. over and over. I listen to it too a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that definitely has influenced stuff. And I like my kids know the song, and I, you know, I I still listen to it. I play it all the time. Well, I, I listened. I listen nonstop. I mean, probably at least once a day, if not every other day, I listen to the soundtrack of Twenty Eight Days Later. Oh yeah, when I write and God speed you, Black Emperor. You Black Emperor. Yeah. And uh, I What's and that's that that's song? from an album. That's West from, Hastings. Is that is that the song. album? It's the album. It's like sort of the dark storm. It's on uh, the, like a there's like a black and white storm. Yeah, I can't remember the title, uh, but the oh, name of the song man. is called West Hastings. That's the one that's in the beginning of Twenty Eight Days Later yeah. when he's wandering London. And it, yeah, and if you're looking for good mood oh. music to write to, yeah. I can't recommend a better like Tangerine Dream and Godspeed You Black Emperor. Yeah. To phenomenal instrumental electronic yeah. music. There, like, there was uh, when I was uh, the first time I went to the UK. This is back when I was, you know, nineteen maybe. Mm-hmm. There, I, I used to travel there and meet up with a family and then go on vacation with them. Mm-hmm. So um, there was one time. I think it was the first time we were there. We were on the island of Iona in Scotland, which is you know one of my favorite places in the world. And uh, he goes, "Here, I want you to listen to this song, and I want you to just uh, enjoy it." And it was that song. Mm-hmm. West Hastings, and he said, "When you think it can't build anymore, it's going to build. It's going to build more." And yeah. uh, it was just amazing. I remember that. That's when I first heard of them, and kind of fell in love with that album specifically. Um, and I've listened Good to album. other stuff of theirs too, and it's pretty great. But uh, like something, something, their hands, something against the sky. Raised your skinny fist like yes. antennas to the heaven. That's that's it. a great album. That's the one I think. Oh man, I think. It's that. <laughs> But uh, I think that's uh, that's all for this this group. We're gonna I'm probably gonna cut this up to several podcasts. All right, awesome, man. And uh, we will uh, move on to the next bit. And hello, hello, everybody. This is Matt back once again with Joe for some uh, practices for hey, our fourth podcast. Man, glad to be back. We're already on the fourth podcast. Know, Excited, and today uh, I wanted to talk about. A book called the 3 a.m. epiphany a book of writing exercises on the title it says uncommon writing exercises that transform your fiction it's by a guy named brian kitely who was the director of creative writing at the university of denver so one of one of the few colleges in america that offer a phd in creative writing and this is something our little writing group tuesday night publishing has been using for a while yeah. And uh, I just love it. And so we wanted to talk about, we, we're, we're both going to choose two of our favorite exercises yeah. and just sort of explain them. So you get sort of uh, what's going on with this as a writer, how you can use it either by yourself or with your own writing group. So the first, uh, so the writing exercises are actually in this, they're divided up into sections that describe sort of what, the individual exercises focus on like for example the the first section is called point of view and under point of view the first exercise is probably my favorite one and it's yeah. the first one that we did in our group it's called the name of the exercise is called the reluctant eye so here's what you do write a first person story in which you use the first person pronoun i or me or my only two times. So you're writing 600 words. Uh, But keep the I somehow important to the narrative you're constructing. 
The point of this exercise is to imagine a narrator who is less interested in himself than in what he's observing. You can make your narrator someone who sees an interesting event in which he's not necessarily a participant, or you can make himself a facing yet a major participant in the events related. It is very important in this exercise to make sure your reader is not surprised 40 or 50 words into the piece to realize that this is a first person narration. Show us quickly who is observing the scene. And like I said, 600 words. And so that is such a cool exercise, Matt. Totally. And he explains it below. He'll explain below each exercise why you do it. Um, do you want to cover that part, Matt? Like why we do this? Like oh, why sure. this is an important exercise? Because well, at first you might not want to do this as a writer. A lot of writers don't like the constraints in these exercises. Yeah. But the, the big phrase that he uses at the very last sentence when he's talking about the uh, the, the reason for doing this is uh, he says the ego of narration. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really, really true um, because it's he basically kind of says, like Joseph was saying, after each exercise, there's an explanation why. And I'll just read this. It says, the people we tend to like most are those who are struck, uh, who are much more interested in other people than themselves, Ooh, selfless and caring, nice. whose conversation is not a stream of self-involved remarks. So uh, the big, biggest thing is, um, another lesson you might learn from this exercise is how important it is to let things and events speak for themselves beyond the ego of the narration. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed that I do uh, mm -hmm. as a writer that I'm trying to change mm -hmm. is the idea that the uh, description needs to have, uh, like, a, needs to funnel through the character. Yeah. And that's completely unnecessary, you know? Totally. Like, like for example, I wrote a scene where a guy is, it's like in the 1940s, a guy's mm -hmm. in front of a, uh, a pawn shop kind of place, and mm -hmm. instead of writing about what the pawn shop looks like, I have the character move through the scene and touch and interact with stuff, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it actually is a distraction, and it takes yeah. away from the the scene itself. So I had to go back through mm -hmm. and rewrite that, and just have him there describe the scene, and then have mm -hmm. him interact with the other characters. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I've I've totally done that in my writing so much, and yeah. a lot of the stuff I've had published, <clears throat> and it's sort of embarrassing. But I mean. Just recently, you know, from doing this, yeah. I became aware of that. I, like, I'll look at stuff and I'll write a scene where, uh, from first person, where I see the dog running down the street, for example, yeah, instead I of take, just, I, yeah, I, I reach up and grab, you know, instead of just the dog ran down the street. Yeah. And it, it, it makes your writing wordy. Yeah. It makes it sort of self-focused. And just it takes away from the descriptions. Well, right. I think it's yeah. I, th I think it's the primary reason for that rule: show, don't tell. Yeah. You, I mean, if you're, you're just you're showing the scene and letting the letting the reader interact mm -hmm. rather than the character. Good stuff. So, it's, so that's a, a great example of how these writing exercises yeah, can help you and your friends and do them together in a group like we do. I think so. And it's really fun. Like we'll do one once a week in our writing group and yeah. then when we meet on Tuesday nights, we share it. Yeah, we'll read them out and then we yeah. kind of critique and let, let, you know, uh, let it work so, for itself. What's your so favorite one? One of the ones that I liked was one that's in the uh, time section. Okay. Uh, and it's called The Gap. And I feel like this is one of those things that uh, it automatically, when you start writing it, mm -hmm. uh, makes stories happen. Yeah. Um, it's 500 words, and it says write a short scene, 200 to 300 words, leave mm -hmm. a gap, and skip ahead to another short scene with the same characters you were studying before the gap. Oh. Make the gap a mystery or an emptiness. You yourself should not necessarily know what has happened. 
And then what's the effect? What happens? So I remember going back and uh, writing a, sh a short little piece that was about a, this man who was falling in love. And then there was a huge gap and suddenly it was him meeting his ex-wife uh, at Chili's to discuss uh, custody of the kids or something like that. Yeah, I remember that. And it was like kind of amazing very cool. and heartbreaking. And, yeah. and it came out of that. And I feel like what was cool... <clears throat> was that uh, writing that way and, mm -hmm. and taking out that chunk in the middle mm -hmm. uh, felt kind of releasing in a way. Uh, yeah, that is such a cool technique yeah. too. It's something you might not ever think of as a, as a beginning writer. You might, you know, a lot of people tend to just make everything happen sequentially yeah. from, you know, sort of like from the morning till the evening just... They don't do that. They don't use techniques like that. Well, and he even says that you know, that little description at the end of talking about why to do this exercise. He says, this exercise should show writers how to leave out crucial information without harming the story and mm. what the effect of leaving it out is. Nice. It can be both good and bad. So yeah. that's awesome. All right, what's next? All right, so my uh, the second one I wanted to talk about is under the travel section, which is one of my favorite sections. It's number 176 called Barbarians. So write of an encounter between two people who do not speak any common language. It is important in this exercise to stick to one POV. If you switch minds, you lose the pressure to try and present the mystifying foreign behavior in tangible, if not necessarily comprehensible, terms. This exercise differs from body English, exercise 60, because these people actually speak even yeah. if the two people don't understand one another's words. 500 words. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, that Twilight Zone episode that we talked about, uh, mm -hmm. two, is essentially that exercise. Ooh, yeah. that's so right. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's like uh, that famous Star Trek episode of the one where mm -hmm. they, Picard meets that alien who speaks only in... Uh, stories from their oh, mythology right yes yeah, so cool what a great yeah here's a here's a cool thing he says at the very bottom of this uh, imagine how fun it would be to be able to say whatever you want to someone the title of this exercise derives from the greek word barbarous which means foreign or ignorant or simply not greek right. all foreigners are barbaric to natives of a region I hope this exercise makes you play with the idea of foreignness. Think of all the different types of gestures that could be misread. Shaking hands, being an act of aggression, an index finger on one side of the nose that means your mother is a prostitute. Yeah, <laughs> and it reminds me of yeah. when I first went to go live and work in India when I was working for Microsoft. I remember I had to learn that you never hand people money with your left hand and you don't <laughs> shake with your left hand and I would go around insulting people yeah. by touching them with my left hand and by hand, constantly handing people with money with my left hand at stores until I learned you only hand money with your right hand why because in India you use your left hand to wipe your bottom with yeah. water and soap after you use the bathroom yeah. so it's considered dirty so you never touch people or money or eat with your left hand amazing yeah that's great yeah that's awesome well yeah it's and just yeah no i, I was gonna expand on that but i don't think i need to that's perfect <laughs> uh, another exercise that we just i uh, just sent out to the group to do this week is one that i got excited about because it seems like something that it's kind of cool because there's two different ways you can view at this. You can view these exercises. Some of them as a way 
to make it difficult so that you write in a different way and exercise your creative writing abilities in mm -hmm. different ways. Sure. And then also to kind of, because I know some of the writers have certain strengths, Yep. you can send send out exercises knowing that they'll do, do them well and it might encourage them. Ah. And then also you can send them out knowing that they're going to hate it. Yeah. And they're going to have to push. To push them to and, work on areas. Yeah. That's so, really good. Uh, this one here is called Deja Vu. It's number 97. It's actually the one right in front of the gap. Uh, okay. But it's write a short sketch of a scene in which a character has an experience that causes her to recall a starting, startlingly uh, similar past experience. Juxtapose the present scene and the past scene on top of each other, writing, for instance, two or three sentences of the present moment, then altering back and forth between the present and the past. Such a cool way to... That is great. Yeah. And he even talks about the reason why it's so good. Is that where, where was that? It's on the um, most of us have had. Okay, traditionalists presume that the past is safely in the fi uh, is safely past in fiction. This exercise reminds you that the past usually bubbles up in the present at unexpected moments and in unforeseen ways. And immediately, I think of uh, Ratatouille. That moment when he mm. takes. Remember that? Yeah. He takes that bite of the Ratatouille that's and right. he, it sucks him back to when he's a kid. Yeah. It just is. Uh, that's exactly what he's talking about. That is and to so be able cool. to use that in fiction is pretty awesome. Definitely. So I feel like there's going to be really cool stuff that's going to come out of that. Yeah. So man. So if you so if you have a writing group or even if you don't, you know, get this uh, 3 a.m. Epiphany, and I suggest uh, using it. Yeah, you, you can find your, it yeah. pretty cheap online too, like used that's right. copies. You sure can, or you can get a digital copy and yeah. put it on your desktop and do a writing exercise every day or every week. Or every day. So. Every day. Uh, the next thing we're going to move into is uh, the uh, audio production we did this week, which was one of Joe's stories, a little short uh, <laughs> kind of comedic horror fiction. Yeah, I actually, I wrote this for Fright Club. I'm in Fright Club in the Horror Writing Association. It's a little, it's a, it's a workshop under this amazing guy named Mona Lawrence. Who's an editor for Europe's Rue Morgue out of Germany? Yeah, he's he's a famous guy in the horror community, and uh, yeah. So our, our our writing exercise was to uh, write microfiction, yeah. and this sort of spawned from that. But it also spawned from the 3 a.m. epiphany because I was trying to do one of the exercises in it. I'm not sure it was successful, but that's sort of how this came about. Yeah, is is from Fright Club and the 3 a.m. Epiphany. Yeah. So, uh, it, and it's funny. It's it's a zombie horror, but it's a little comedic. Yeah. So it's got it's got it's got some laughs in it. So right. uh, here you are. Enjoy, and we will see you next time. Adios. Dada is tall, almost to the ceiling. I remember seeing him reach above everything into the clouds, but I'm small and good at hiding. I slide between Mr. Bear and Pillow Man, and Dada can't see me. I want to laugh, but I keep quiet. Dada looks everywhere and calls my name. I pull Mr. Bear closer while Dada searches around my crib, but he stops at the window and ceases smiling. He pulls the curtains open. Dada starts to speak, 
but my window explodes inward like sparkling rain. A man jumps inside. Hey, what's going on? He's red all Get over and his head is wobbly on his neck. Who are you? What? I try not to laugh because the man has a funny eye hanging from its socket. Dada falls backward, but the man jumps on him. The man growls like a dog and bites Dada's face. Dada screams and fights, but his hands are slippery from the red. I'm scared now, but I don't cry. I hide and let my bowels loose in relief, filling my diaper. I try not to retch for my own foul laugh. Dada keeps screaming, even as his lips are ripped from his face. The man keeps biting, and then Dada's nose is gone also. Soon, Dada lies silent and limp like Pillow Man. The man is tired of biting Dada, so he limps with his wobbly head to my crib. I let rip another stream of steaming mush into my diaper, and the man grimaces and backs away. I giggle because the man makes a funny face. He doesn't like my smell. He hobbles from my room searching for someone else, but he won't find anyone. Last week, Mama yelled at Dada for a whole night. She moved out and hasn't been back since. I don't dare move yet, even when Dada stands with his head wobbly like the man who attacked him. Strings of red fall from his face, and his eyes are like Mr. Bear's. They don't move. Dada walks toward me, but like the other man, he smells my poops. Dada recoils and leaves. I hear him and the other man fumble at our front door for hours until it opens. They stumble outside together and leave the door ajar. Others come and go. They stumble into the house, some with heads hanging and some with body parts missing. They're all covered in red and lots of red strings. They occasionally growl or gnash their teeth and they occasionally stop and peer into my crib. But the stench of my diaper always drives them away. With nothing else to do, I relax and take a good nap with Mr. Bear and Pillow Man. I bide my time trying to form a plan. Do I stay and wait for Mama or Granddada or Grandmama to arrive? Or do I go outside and start searching for help? I must decide soon. Thank you for listening to the Tales of the Fantastic podcast with Matthew Moan and Jan Cameron, brought to you by Tuesday Night Publishing. 
All music and sound effects licensed from Artlist.com. Follow us and join in on the conversation on Facebook. See you next time.